And in 1 John chapter 4, we kind of see this. You know, I, I love the fact that the guy, uh, if you know anything about John, he was a disciple of Jesus. He wrote his own gospel as well as these other three um, uh, books. And, uh, you know, when you write your own book, you get to call yourself whatever you want. Um, you know, like uh, Moses, um, he called himself the meekest man on earth. Uh, hey, I mean, if you write the chapter, you write the book, I guess you get to throw that title in there. And uh, so John decided to call himself uh, the one whom Jesus loved. And if you read through the Gospel of John, you'll see that several times. He called himself the one who Jesus loved. And so I think it's fitting that the man that knew the Father's love for him was able to talk about the love of God uh, with such clarity and with such understanding. You know, sometimes I feel like we have a hard time showing the love of God because we have a hard time knowing the love of God. I think that you can only reflect what is first revealed. And until we truly know the love of God in our lives, we're going to have a hard time walking in the love of God or showing the love of God. And that's not if that's not a term you've heard before, um, that's simply uh, how, how Paul put it. We need to put on the love walk. We need to walk in love. Um, and, and that just simply means live a lifestyle of love. And I believe that love uh, is and should be the foundation of every believer, of every Christian. It should be a foundation of the church, of the living God. One of the prayers that I pray every Sunday morning before you guys even walk in here is that you will know the love of God today through a handshake, through a smile, through someone taking care of your child, uh, through uh, an usher passing an envelope from our worship. If we're not dispelling the love of God to you, then why are we here? Well, you know, my, my love for you can only go so far, but the love of God is limitless. And, and that's really what we want you. If you come to church, you ought to come into contact with the love of God. And I've been around some church people that are just mean. <laughs> I can just put it that way. I've been around some church people that, you know, they just care about themselves. They're just selfish. I think that is the, 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 the most ironic thing, that you could give your life to the God who is love, but yet still carry on hatred and, and meanness and selfishness and get offended at every little thing. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the church today uh, needs to know the love of God before we can show the love of God, if I can put it that way. There is an attack on love. There's an attack on love today. And, and, and the way I like to put it is there's a redefining taking place. See, everything in life has already been defined by God. That means he's already given it its definition. He's already given it its purpose. He's, al he's already given its reason for existence. But the enemy comes in to pervert or twist what God... See, it, within every lie, truth is embedded. You can't tell a lie until you first have truth. That's why the enemy had to wait for God to give a command to Adam and Eve before he could express something before he could pervert that or twist that and so the enemy shows up in the garden in, in genesis chapter three just kind of giving you a little preface of where we're going today uh and and he quickly redefines what god has already spoken and and he's been doing that ever since he's been doing that ever since and and love already has a purpose love already has a design love already has a reason and the enemy wants to come in and he wants to twist 
He wants to pervert. He wants to change. And this is why I believe it is so important for the enemy to twist love. Because God is love. And so if you can redefine love, you can redefine God. If you can redefine what love is, you've redefined who God is. If you can redefine what love accepts, then you redefine what God accepts. If you redefine how love acts, then you redefine how God acts. If love turns its eye, God turns his eye. If love allows that to take place, then God allows that to take You, you, you see that they go together. And the world is having its definition of God changed because the world is changing its definition of love. We're seeing this take place within our own nation. Our nation was founded on God. We have no godly principles anymore because we have no moral principles. And when morality goes out, then godly living goes out. And when godly living goes out, then you change what godly living looks like and you change who God is himself. And so we've got to properly understand what love looks like. Jesus, uh, when he spoke to John on the island of Patmos in Revelation, he, had, uh, he spoke to one church. He said, this one thing I've got against you, you've left your first love. You've left your first love. And I believe we need to come back to our first love. That means love is a priority in our lives. It's not secondary anymore. It's not just, uh, uh, you know, something that we do. Uh, Jesus made this statement with his disciples. He said, you will be known by your love for one another. Sometimes I think Christians are nicer to people in the world than we are to each other, than we are to our own brothers and sisters. And, and that's even, you know, that happens in our own natural families too. Sometimes you treat, you know, a neighbor nicer than you treat your own brother or sister. And it's crept into the church spiritually. And so today I just want to give a focus. This isn't a, a, a full summary. Um, this isn't, you know, love 101 necessarily. But, but this is going to help us understand that love ought to be and is the foundation of the church of the living God. Okay? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, uh, John says this, Beloved, so he's talking to each other, brethren, one another, let us love one another, for love is of God, or comes from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I want to make this statement that there is no love outside of God's love. Okay? That is the only love there is. You're not operating in love if you're not operating in God's love, period. There's no such thing as true love. There's no such thing as real love. There's only one love, and you're either in it or you're not. There's, there's, uh, fake love isn't love, if I can put it that way. He says, he who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. He's speaking to, to, to you and I. He's not talking to the world here. He's talking to you and I. If you don't know how to love, then you don't know God. The one that you say that you've given your life to, the one that you say you've made Lord of your life, and he comes and he lives in you and he's taken over, you don't even know him because you, you don't even know love. They go hand in hand. In this love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, 
if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What God has revealed to us, we should reflect to others, is what he's saying. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. You realize that you, as a believer, are the love of God to the world. They don't see, the, they don't see God, but they see you. I heard one person say one time that you are the only Bible some people will ever read. Sometimes we're praying for God to show himself to a coworker, or God, show, show yourself to this individual. And he says, yeah, that's why you're there. I sent you to be a reflection and a revelation of who I am to that individual. When you reach out and love that person, I'm reaching out and loving that person. Amen. It's connected. And so he says, no one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So we see that this ought to be the foundation for our lifestyle. It should be the foundation for our living. It should be our foundation for our belief system. A Christian that is set apart from love comes into question, are you really saved? Are you really born again? Have you really gotten to know your Father? Because you can't get to know God without getting to know His love. And each one of us has had the love of God expressed to us. Therefore, each of us should have the love of God shining through us. What God has expressed to you, He wants to express through you. There is no love of God being expressed to the world outside of the church. There's no love of God being shown to sinners and to those that are lost and dying and going to hell outside of the church of the living God. I did a series uh, towards the end of last year uh, called So, simply titled So, for God so loved the world. And, and we walked through how do we show love to those that don't know God? How do we show love to those that, 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 that don't, uh, have not experienced the love of God for themselves. Now we make this statement. Uh, we love the sinner and hate the sin. But I found that that's been really hard for some people. I, I think that's a confusing topic. That's a confusing thing to say because for a, lot, for a lot of us, we have a hard time separating the two. But yet Jesus based his ministry off of loving sinners yet hating sin. What Jesus loved to see was people's response to truth. What Jesus loved to see was people's response. Did they want change? Did they want to come out of what they were in? See, that's why he had an issue with the Pharisees who had the right actions and the wrong heart, but loved being around sinners who had the right heart but the wrong actions. God can always do something with an individual that has the right heart, even if they're living in the wrong actions. Because the heart is where change comes from. 
You don't change on the outside until you change on the inside. That's why he makes you new, a, a brand new being. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are therefore in Christ. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Well, you know, when you walk down here and, and you got saved or got born again, you didn't walk back to your seat looking different. Your gray hair didn't turn brown again. Your, your, the, the wrinkles didn't go away. You were short, but then you were tall. Uh, you were ugly, and then you were pretty. Uh, that doesn't take place on the outside. But we know that the ugliness on the inside goes away. You're made a new creation on the spot. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the process is getting the inside to show up on the outside. That's called spiritual maturity or spiritual growth. That's how we get rid of the old and we put on the new. We uh, crucify the flesh daily, as Paul says. I discipline my body. I beat it into subjection. Why? Because my flesh isn't going to tell my spirit what to do. And which one you feed determines which one becomes stronger. This is the new life of the believer. Things change on the inside, and the change on the inside ought to change us, make us different on the outside. That's what happens when we come into contact with the love of God. That's why he sent his son. That's why he loved us so much, so that he could turn us back into what we were originally designed and created to be in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Jesus doesn't care about you getting to heaven. He cares about you bringing heaven to earth. He's not concerned with where you go after you die. He's concerned what you do until you die. We're here to make influence. We're here to make an impact for the kingdom of God on this earth. And every person you come into contact with needs to know the love of God. If we're not doing it, who is? If Christians aren't revealing the love of God, who's going to do that? Who's going to reveal the love of God to a lost and dying world? And so we've got to, to learn how to operate and walk in this love of God. It ought to be our foundation. So I want to destroy, if you will, uh, three myths about love, three lies uh, about love that we've either accepted or accommodated or acclimated our lives to. And um, I, I, I want to get rid of these thought processes because, again, if we redefine love, we redefine God. And we can't properly operate in that which we don't know. I can't reveal to somebody else what has not been revealed to me. The first myth about love is love is acceptance. Love is acceptance. Love is acceptance. This, this is what the world wants you to think. The world wants you to think that love accepts and allows. But when you come into contact with the real love of God, you understand that the love of God is designed to change, not accept. We accept the person, yes. But we accept the person based upon their response to receive what God has for them. Now, in contrast, Jesus dealt with these individuals in his ministry. They were called Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders, that didn't want to change. They rejected the very thing that God came to bring, and God came to minister through his son, Jesus. They rejected that, but yet Jesus is found hanging out with, with sinners and tax collectors, and, 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 and he... he, he comes into contact with an adulterer, and people struggle with this. He got with, you know, Jesus was hanging out with sinners, so we should be around sinners more than we should be around the church. 
So Jesus was around people that accepted the love of God that was shown to them and responded by changing their life. Because when he dealt with an adulterous woman who was living fake love, she was trying to achieve fake love by sleeping with a man that was not her husband, and he comes into contact with her, he says, I don't condemn you, and then he ends with this, go and sin no more. I find it odd that Jesus is telling a woman to go and sin no more when he hasn't even gone to the cross yet. But what's he identifying? There's got to be a change that takes place as a result of coming into contact with me. You've come into contact with the love of God. You've come into contact with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this should change you. This experience right here should change you. But the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't allow that. You want to say Jesus was accepting. Jesus was accepting of people that live sinful lifestyles. No, he wasn't. He was, re- he, he, he was rejected by Pharisees and Sadducees. I mean, if we say Jesus is accepting, that means he would allow anybody and everybody. But he didn't. You know, we, we make this statement a lot. You know, we used to, to sing a song, you know, come just as I am. Right? Just as I am. Yeah, you can come just as you are, but coming into contact with God ought to change you. He doesn't want to leave you as you are. The love of God wants to change what's in a person. We see this in our nation right now, that we just want to accept and accommodate uh, uh, sinful lifestyles, and, and, and we're changing laws to, let, to allow this to take place. We've got pastors that are just as confused uh, on, on the Bible uh, as, as sinners are. I heard um, a statistic a while back. I don't know if it's any different now. But the world, you know, I I think the world rejects homosexuality more than some people in the church do. We're, We're so confused. Within the church, the divorce rate in the world is 50%. The divorce rate in the church is 50%. The love of God. We've got to come into contact with the love of God. The love of God changes things. But I'll tell you this. It is possible to be around the love of God and not be changed. There were plenty of individuals in Jesus' ministry that were in contact with the Son of God himself. Love in the flesh. And were not changed. You think that if we just sing a song enough times, if we dance around here enough times, if we can fill this place with the presence of the Holy Spirit and the people's lives, that's not what changes people's lives. What changes people's lives is their ability to respond to the love of God in action. And if they don't respond and if they reject it, they won't be any different than when they walked through that door before we got started. You can sing that song as long as you want. and You can dance and you can throw shoes and chairs and do all the funny stuff that you want to do in your service. That's not what changes people's lives. It's people's ability to respond to the truth of the living God when it's ministered and choose to make a change in their life. And that's what this church is all about. That's what this church is all about. I don't want to walk out of here and have some kind of spirit move, presence filled service and nobody's any different. I want to be different. 
When I come into the contact with the love of God, I, I want it to change me. So we're not buying in the lie, in the myth, that love is accepting. Love isn't accepting. Love is changing. Love wants you to be different. Number two, number two, love is automatic. I, I don't know. You've probably heard the statement, you fell in love. And we may have even heard the statement. I've heard people in many counseling sessions tell me they just fell out of love. No, you didn't. Falling is an accident. I don't know anybody that falls on purpose. <laughs> and if you fell in love, then you got love. You fell in love on accident. I, you're, you're basically telling your wife uh, or your husband that I'm loving you on accident right now. I fell into it. I had no choice in the matter. It just happened. <laughs> because those same people will tell me, well, you know, I just fell out of love. Now, Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 tells me this, put above, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. I think we need Christians today that choose to put on love. Choose to put on love. Love is a choice, period. Love is a choice. You choose to love every day. You choose to love when they love you back. You choose to love when they don't love you back. You choose to love. And you choose not to love. And I'm not just talking husband and wife. I'm talking as believers. Who you walk in love with and who you don't walk in love towards and who you get offended with and, 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 and who we struggle in loving, that is our choice. He tells us right here, put on love. That's our responsibility. That's no one else's responsibility. Jesus can't make you love somebody. God can't make you love somebody. Only you can. We've got to put on love. Love is not automatic. Love doesn't just happen. We love because we choose to love. We love because there's something on the inside that says, I love this person. I love this person. Which takes me to the next point, myth number three. That love is optional. The world wants to tell you today that love is optional. You can walk in love if you want, and those people, you don't have to walk in love. And, you know, the Bible gives us a list of people that we're supposed to love. We're supposed to love our spouses. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Uh, we're supposed to love our neighbors. Bible tells us that you need to love yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. Bible tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And, you know, we all wish that God would have stopped right there because then Jesus throws the one that we all, you know, struggle with. Then he says, love your enemies. <laughs> love your enemies, which what he does right there is he excludes anybody from you not having to walk in love with. He's just ruled out everyone. Like there is no one left on the face of this planet that you have an excuse not to walk in love with that individual. Isn't that interesting? Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 is where this is found. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor 
and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He's saying you should be reproducing what my Father did for you. See, God sent Jesus with no guarantee that you would ever accept him and choose him. God sent Jesus before you ever showed anything worth loving. He sent his son. He sent his son, the most precious gift. Like he didn't even give us leftovers. He gave us the most valuable gift that he had. I heard one person put it this way, that God gave us the only thing that he only had one of. He only had one son. He's God, creator of the universe. He owns the planet. He owns the universe. He owns every star, every galaxy, every tree, every mountain. And he found the one thing he only had one of. It's easy to give away something you've got multiples of. But when you've only, it's, it's the last thing. It's the most valuable thing you have and you only have one of it. And you're willing to give that up. That's the love of God that was demonstrated to us. For God so loved the world. And so he's saying here that when we love our enemies, it's not until we love our enemies that we're truly showing the love of God. He goes on to say, uh, uh, let's see, where are we at? Verse 45, that you may be the sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? You, the world can do that, is what he's saying. If you can love people that love you back or have already shown you love and already cared for you, that's one thing. But now, I, I dare you to show love to someone that doesn't love you. I dare you to show someone that show, show love to someone that's not worthy of love. Now you're really moving into the God kind of love. Agape love. Agape love. The love that only God can show. I believe this is the foundation he's trying to get us to. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? See, as believers, we ought to be producing something different than what the world is producing. Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I believe God wants his church to reveal his love. It's time for churches to stop determining who's worthy of love and who isn't. It's time for believers to stop determining who I can walk in love with and who I don't have to walk in love with. It's time for Christians to stop responding in hate when people respond to us in hate. It's time for us to start praying for those who curse us. It's time for us to start blessing those who uh, do wrong against us. It's time for us to start showing the love of God to people that on the outside aren't worth the love of God. But it's interesting to me that God made everyone 
in Kingdom Institute, we're teaching a class right now on honor, living a life of honor, and who you honor. And honor is simply value. That's what the word honor means. It's, it's value. Whatever you honor, you, you place a value on. And how you honor someone and, and how you live a life of honor determines your value for that thing. And we, we, we came across this fact that God has already assessed a value for every person on this planet. He's already determined what you're worth. He's already determined what the worst sinner is worth. That means that we don't have the right to reassess a different value. We don't have the right to determine a different value for an individual. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. It doesn't matter how they treated you. It doesn't matter what they said to you. It doesn't matter uh, uh, what you've been through with that person. They already have a value. They might not be living up to the value, but the value has already been determined. And you need to know this today, that your value's already been determined. Do not let another individual determine your worth and your value in life. There's no ex-husband, there's no ex-wife, there's no son or daughter, there's no co-worker, there's no boss or employee, there's no uh, uh, teacher that can assess a value to you that's different than what your creator has already assessed for you. The only one that has the right to determine the value is the one who created you. Amen. How many times do we live our lives... uh, just determining our worth based upon what someone else says about us. It's time for that to stop. We're sons and daughters of the king. You are royalty. You are sitting next to royalty right now. You are sitting next to princes and princesses. You're sitting next to kings and queens in this room right now. And your worth has already been determined by the creator. We've got to live up to that. We've got to live up to that value. And so we love people according to that value. If God loves them, we love them. What right does the church have to love differently than God himself? What right does the church have to, to, to talk about people that are living a certain way? And I'll tell you what, you, you think it's bad now. There are lifestyles and there are perversions that will come out that will be so offensive. And if you think they're, they're offensive to you, think about how offensive it is to God. And yet he's already sent his son to die for them. And if they simply accept that promise, accept that gift, they can be changed just like you and I. They can be changed just like you and I. I want to see a church in the last days that reflects the true love of God. Chase, if you come up. I want to see a church in the last days that's going to reveal real love, true love, the only love, the love of the Father, the love of the Father. I want to see a church in the last days that can love under the worst circumstances. I want to see a church in the last days that can love in spite of the worst scenarios. I want to see a church in the last days that's going to bring heaven to earth. The kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If it's God's will in heaven, he wants it done on earth. And he's doing that through you and I.
God is not doing anything in this earth outside of his church. That's why I value the church so much. Not just because I'm a pastor, not just because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm over a church. I value the church because it's the very entity that God is operating through in the last days to declare his love. If the church isn't doing it, then who is? Are you going to leave the world to love like God loves? There's no way. That's our job. That's our job. That's our job to hug people that are bound in sin. That's our job. That's our job to hold people when they're going through a trial. That's our job to wrap our arms around hurting and lost and dying people. That's our job. You, you, you love each other, the world can do that. He says, I want, I want my people to be known by my love. I want my people to be known by my love. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to do this for a moment. I want you to reflect on the love of God for you. I'm not talking about having a pity party. I'm not talking about, you know, sitting back and thinking of all the wrong things you did. I want you to think about the love of God in spite of where you've been. Because we can't reflect what hasn't been revealed. And just thank Him right now where you're at. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your goodness in my life. You, you should have written me off. You, you should have cast me aside, but yet you sent the most valuable, precious one. Reflect on the love of God in your life. Reflect on the love of God for your family, for your children. His mercy, His grace. We thank you this morning. We thank you this morning. We're so grateful. We're so honored to be loved by the King of Kings and by the Lord of Lords. But now, Father, we pray that you help us show that love to those around us. Soften our hearts so that we can love like you love. We can care like you can. We can forgive like you forgive. There is no reason that any of us should hold unforgiveness in our hearts. There is no reason that a Christian and a believer of the King should have an offense or a grudge held within them. You forgave us and you expect us to do the same for others. We let go of those hurts and those pains. We let go of those offenses. We let go uh, of the grudges that we've held. We let it go in the name of Jesus. You forgave us so we can forgive others. Hallelujah. Father, we pray that you'll use us for your glory and for your power. Reveal to us opportunities that we have every day to show people the love of God. Co-workers and, 
employers, employees, family members, neighbors, people we don't even know, Father. Reveal to us opportunities that we miss on a daily basis to be your love to somebody. Father, I thank you that we're raising up a church that knows how to love, that knows what love is, that we make love the foundation once again. We make love the foundation once again. We can know all the word. We can memorize all the scriptures. We can we can go to all the Bible studies, Father, but until we know and reveal your love, we won't be known as your disciples. It's your love that identifies us as being set apart. Father, we give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you for the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen.